When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All right, welcome to the latest edition of the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis, joined as always by Drew Lerner, and we'll discuss everything that happened in the last week in sports media, busy time in the TV ratings, quite a few events going on, and of course, uh, all sorts of different things happening in the industry. Uh, Some people getting new jobs and some, obviously, uh, job losses in the industry as well. So a lot to talk about this week. Uh, don't forget, if you have not already, please sign up for the SMW podcast feed at or subscribe to it, I should say, at Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, anywhere where you get your podcasts is where you can get the SMW podcast. So why don't we get started by talking about the NBA's ratings and, of course, the big headline from the weekend, Kings Warriors game number four, very exciting, uh, dramatic game. And it had 7.5 million viewers on ABC, which is the largest first round playoff audience in 21 years since the Lakers and Trailblazers on NBC in 2002. Tom Hammond, Bill Walton, Steve Snapper Jones, and that was a Robert Ory three from the corner to clinch that series for the Lakers back then. So a great game for uh, ABC, great game for the NBA, as the Kings Warriors series continues to deliver easily the best numbers of the first round. Uh, It is now, uh, you know, all four games up double digits from last year, and that's no small feat. Last year's games were Warriors games. So it's not like you're plugging in Steph Curry and it's outdrawing, you know, the Timberwolves or something. These are games involving Steph Curry that are increasing double digits from games involving Steph Curry. So that is what you want to see if you're the NBA. And obviously the Warriors play a big role here because it's a competitive series involving the Warriors. Last year, no real drama. I think people knew they were going to beat Denver. It wasn't a very interesting series. But you got to give a lot of credit to Sacramento because, like I said, Steph Curry was there in every single one of these windows last year, and the numbers were not this good. Obviously, the Warriors are the driving force because the Kings are not drawing like this against anybody else, maybe not even the Lakers. Uh, But clearly the Kings are contributing something to this, even if it's just by being a good team that is a real and significant challenge to the Warriors. But it is worth noting the most watched NBA game outside of the finals since Michael Jordan's retirement also involved the Sacramento Kings, right? It was game seven, 2002 Western Conference finals and uh, the Kings uh, blowing that game that they should have won. Everyone blames the refs for game six, but 
You know, I blame Peja and Doug Christie for missing the side of a barn from three wide open threes that they missed. And I also blame them for blowing a 40 to 20 first quarter lead in game four. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, the point is the Sacramento Kings, people watch the Sacramento Kings play. Uh, they're not really that small of a market. Memphis is a small market team. They're out of the top 40. I don't even think they're in the top 50 in terms of market size. Sacramento is a mid-sized market and an untapped market. And I do think they're playing a role here. I don't think it's just the Warriors. I think the Kings have some appeal too. All right, Drew, we'll bring you in. Uh, what are your thoughts on the weekend numbers? Yeah, um, well, first and foremost, I, I think you hit on a lot of good points there. Um, I think this year in the NBA playoffs, there's there's a lot of teams that are competitive, especially more so than the one eights and the two sevens that we usually see, right? Um, but I think the driving force for the huge number we got um, with Kings Warriors is is the time slot that we've talked about many times. It was Sunday afternoon, 3.30. Um, you had a great graphic tweeted out today showing, you know, the top first round NBA playoff audiences since 2002. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven of those 10 games on that graphic were during that sunday 3 30 p.m time slot i think that has a lot to do with with this number but what i do want to point out about about king's warriors and you also mentioned this in your article john is that it was boosted by the out of home number right the rating is a bit lower than a lot of those top um, first round audiences since 2002 so that that's important to point out but I, I think the importance of the uh, the time slot played a big role here. Yeah, I mean, look, out of home is always a factor when we're talking about these, you know, twenty year highs and things like that. Uh, I don't believe that that game had more viewers than Warriors Rockets in 2016. That was a 4.5 rating. That's only seven years, you know. So uh, I, I don't think that uh, all things being equal, it would have outdrawn that game. But we are in the Nielsen era that we're in. So it, it ranks as the most watched in 21 years and you make a great point about the time slot. The fact is Sundays at three 30, that's not even the NBA's best time slot. That 2002 game aired at five 30 PM. That's the NBA's best time slot. And I think it says something that in 21 years in ABC, they haven't managed once to have the kind of first round audience that NBC did for its final first round game. That 2002 game was NBC's last first round game. Wasn't even that great of a series. It was a close finish, like I said, Robert Ory with the three from the corner. But, you know, I mean, it wasn't like some kind of amazing, incredible series or anything. Uh, I think the NBA has kind of, you know, sold itself short by getting rid of that 5.30 p.m. window. That was the NBA's prime time. And ultimately, 3.30, hey, you can get really good numbers at 3.30, but you can get even better numbers at 5.30. It's just that ABC doesn't want to, you know, infringe on American Idol, which can't even get a one in the demo, much like everything else on, on over-the-air TV. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a great number. Could have been better at 530, just saying, but, uh, you know, that's for the next TV deal. Yeah, exactly. There is, a, I would say, a strong likelihood that that time slot does come back, especially if, you know, the NBA looks for a new partner in NBC. Uh, they seem to be a little bit more willing to be flexible. I will say one thing that I'm looking at is looking towards the conference semifinals here. 
you got to think the league office is is foaming at the mouth with some of these potential matchups. I mean, we already know Philadelphia is in the conference semifinals, most likely going up against Boston. That's great. We have the Knicks up three games to one who could be playing either Miami or Milwaukee. I mean, I think either of those are decent options, um, considering Milwaukee is the one seed and has the best player in the NBA. And then there's always intrigue with Miami, especially with how Jimmy Butler played last night. And then you have in the West a win-win with the Lakers, if they can win one more game against Memphis, playing whoever's coming out of Sacramento and Golden State. That's going to be another primetime banger matchup there. And then Denver is going to get past Minnesota in all likelihood and, and play the the upstart Phoenix team with Kevin Durant, right? So there's really no bad series in the conference semifinals if everything goes according to plan for the NBA. Well, I mean, you're, you're, you're right about that. Obviously, Lakers-Warriors is what the league wants most, uh, LeBron and Steph. You know, four years ago, when I guess five years ago, LeBron and Steph met in the finals of the final time. It was this 4 nothing wipeout. Durant going to Golden State just ruined, you know, that Warriors-Cavs rivalry. And it had gotten really tiring and tiresome. And it's like, enough of this. Let's see something new, especially since the games really weren't good anymore. And five years later, the NBA still needs LeBron versus Steph. We haven't seen it in five years. And I was like, okay, we need it now. Because the league, ultimately, in this past five-year period, it hasn't grown anything that even comes close. LeBron and Steph are still 1A and 1B. You can pick your order as the top draws in the NBA, and uh, certainly their teams. Uh, and so, you know, the NBA ultimately, you know, Giannis didn't take take on the kind of drawing power, obviously. I mean, uh, and I mean, who else is even there? I mean, because the, the irony is LeBron and Steph, they have two of the last three titles. I mean, even though they haven't met in the playoffs, they have two of the last three titles. So the league hasn't even grown really new champions. It's still LeBron and Steph. It's just that they aren't good at the same time anymore until now. Uh, the, the league is now one win, one Laker win away. Uh, I got burned yesterday because uh, that game between the Lakers and Grizzlies, I was really just not enjoying it at all. It was very sloppy, very lethargic, uh, really to me seemed to be very poorly played. And so I made a comment as such uh, on Twitter. Then immediately after the game got extremely good, like as soon as I tweeted that out, D'Angelo Russell hit three threes in a row. It, it was this great finish down the stretch. Uh, that's what that series needs because way too much of the discussion about about that series has been about this uh, stock character Dylan Brooks. And I, I say he's a stock character because we've seen this exact person a million times. You know, the uh, all the way back to the Ruben Patterson Kobe stopper uh, stuff back in the early two thousands. Certainly th in, throughout LeBron's career, it, you know, Deshaun Stevenson, Lance Stevenson. You know, uh, it's. It's uninteresting. I mean, there's nothing more uninteresting than the Dylan Brooks type. Uh, at least Draymond, who is a little bit like that. At least he's an actually very good player in the NBA. A lot of these guys, they just talk. So that was, in my view, the the first time that that series was really of any high quality because, uh, you know, the first game was okay, had a nice finish, but games two and three, you know, game two was very sloppy. Game three was a route. And game four was pretty rough up until the end, in my view. So if, if you know, the ratings haven't been bad by any stretch, but it's not Warriors-Kings level as we head into game five. 
Yeah, and and you probably do have a point that um, you know the the series hasn't been the cleanest in terms of the quality of basketball being played, and you know I think kind of the theme throughout a lot of this NBA season is there hasn't really been a dominant force. There hasn't been a team that's blown people out of the water. You know, the regular season finished pretty bunched up in, in both conferences. Um, there, there weren't too many games separating, you know, the one seed from the eight seed this year. Uh, and I know I, I come back to this point a lot on this podcast, but in terms of viewership, you, you like close and late and, I think this year the NBA is kind of bringing that more or at least earlier in the playoffs than they usually do. Right. Um, pretty much every series bar, barring, you know, the Philadelphia series and, and the Boston series, but every other series and the Denver series, I should say, but every other series has had really, really high quality games in terms of entertainment value. They might not be the highest quality on the court, right? but they're they're close and intriguing late and and i think that's kind of drawing a lot of people in no i think you're completely correct uh i think you're completely correct on that front and you know the scoring is not where it has been scoring is not at all uh you know uh and that's better i prefer it to be harder for people to score give me bucket uh, give me buckets give me butler's (laughs) 56 points it's so much more meaningful because you know it's hard to score uh, in the regular season, you know, you have all these ridiculous numbers where the 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 difficulty setting is on rookie mode and everyone is scoring 60 points with regularity. Uh, it's more meaningful in the postseason. And so I, I do think the league is offering up a pretty good product right now. Now, like I said last week, if it ends up being, you know, Denver, Milwaukee, well, it'll mean the Bucks overcame a 3-1 lead, um, one. But, you know, obviously that won't be good from a ratings perspective, but Right now, things are shaping up really well. And if you get Lakers-Warriors, that means you're guaranteed to have one of the Lakers or the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, probably against Kevin Durant and Phoenix. So, I mean, that's mm. pretty golden. This, is, this gives you, if everyone stays healthy, of course, this gives you some 2009 vibes. That was a year where, it was right before LeBron went to Miami, and just everything was kind of trending up. And, you, you know, it was after a long period of things kind of not being so great in the league. And suddenly you had these great matchups, these new teams, and it was exciting. And you didn't really know who was going to win. That's kind of what the, the sense is right now. But as we all know, things change very quickly in this game. Yeah, I mean, I don't follow the sport maybe as closely as you do, but when I've been watching these games... I don't see a clear favorite to win the finals. Obviously there's a few teams that you'd probably pick over others, but I, to me, it, this is wide open. And I, I think for, for more casual fans like myself, that that's what I'm looking for. I, I don't want to know going into the conference semifinals and the, in the conference finals, who who's going to end up in that final series. So props to the NBA. They're, they're putting together some, some close and competitive games in this first round. And, and I think, it's working out viewership wise. I do yeah. want to touch on um, one thing that that we talked a little bit about next or last week, excuse me, and that that's the the Knicks will be playing on NBA TV tomorrow. I think you know this was bound to happen. I don't think anybody expected Knicks, Cavs, the Lakers, Grizzlies, or Warriors Kings to end in a sweep. So you know this was just the way it was going to be. 
the Kings, the Knicks, I should say, their drawing power is not as strong as one would think based on the media coverage that they get. Uh, so, you know, the Knicks were going to be that third place team. The real question to me is what happens if three of these series go six? You know, I mean, theoretically, all mm-hmm. we had a four series go six. We know Warriors Kings will be on Friday night. That's going to be on ESPN. Yeah. The question becomes if Lakers Grizzlies go six, what time is that? I think that'll probably be an eight o'clock game on ESPN. There's no way they're putting the Lakers on ESPN news. Given the choice between inconveniencing LA fans and having them have to go to uh, Staples Center at five o'clock local time and having the Lakers on ESPN news, yeah, I mean, there's only one choice. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm thinking eight o'clock start for Grizzlies Lakers because Memphis isn't the central time zone. That's the series you would put on at eight. Then Kings Warriors at uh, 1030. And uh, then if the Knicks series is still going on, the Knicks are going to have to be on ESVN News. The Knicks and, and, and the Bucks Heat, those are probably going to go to at least a six game because the, the team, well, frankly, all the series that are 3-1 tomorrow, the road team is up 3-1. Mm-hmm. Very strong possibility we have four game sixes on Friday. So, yeah. Man, th- this is hilarious to me because for m- most of my lifetime, the Knicks have been bad. And and all I've heard, especially in the sports media world as well, you know, once the Knicks get good, you know, watch out. They they are the team that people are going to want to tune into and watch. And as you kind of alluded to there, the, the ratings have not borne that out so far this playoffs. Uh, why do you think the Knicks aren't rating as we've kind of expected them to once they became competitive? Is it kind of just out of habit of not having watched the Knicks very much? Well, I think New York, you know, I think people project the Yankees drawing power onto all the New York teams. The Yankees are a different animal, right? The same way that just because the Lakers are a big draw doesn't mean that the Rams and Chargers are. In fact, the Rams and Chargers relative to NFL teams really aren't very good draws at all. Uh, So, you know, New York teams kind of are all drafting off of that New York Yankees thing and the fact that it's the number one market. But the Knicks, you know, the two finals, the Knicks were in the 90s. The ratings were down sharply both times, 94 and 99, right? Granted, compared to the previous year when Jordan was there both times, uh, 93, highest rated Jordan finals of the first three-peat, 98, highest rated Jordan finals of the second three-peat. But, you know, the Knicks, they played that bruising physical style that people really didn't want to watch. People don't like bruising physical basketball played by, you know, antagonistic people. That's why people don't really like the Memphis Grizzlies, right? Uh, And uh, the Knicks very much embodied that. And they weren't necessarily a team that could draw on their own. They could draw against Jordan, but, you know, and and later on when that rivalry with Indiana really picked up, even though the Pacers were a small market team, they could draw against Indiana. But, you know, I don't think NBC was ever too thrilled when those Knicks heat series would come around. You know, those I don't think David Stern was thrilled either, given how many times those devolved into brawls. So, um, you know, the Knicks drawing power is a little bit overstated. Uh, and, and the current Knicks, they have some good players, but no one people really know yet. Having said all of that, you still want to have them around. It's still good to have them around. The numbers are still good. It's just that the Knicks are not the Lakers and the Knicks are not the Warriors. Let's move on to the NHL. Run us through those early playoff ratings for hockey. 
Well, you know, the NHL is doing great. Uh, you know, obviously the, the bar is different for the NHL than it is for the NBA. So the numbers, you know, if you're looking at the NBA's ratings, then you look at the NHL's, you'll say, well, those are great. And yeah, for the NHL, they are great. Uh, you know, uh, five, I think six games now have topped the million viewer mark, including Monday night with uh, uh, New York and, and New Jersey. Uh, you know, you, you that's compared to four games at the comparable point last year. Just had a game Saturday night in ABC, 1.6 million. You know, I mean, realistically, this TV deal is a very interesting one because it has lowered the ceiling on what the NHL can do. Because, you know, when NBC had the rights, they were getting well over 2 million for, you know, with, with not too infrequently. One of the games after the Derby in the second round had 4.6 million viewers, right? You know, and, and that was, I think, 2019. The ceiling was much higher because you had more games on over-the-air TV. But the floor was much lower because you had more games on CNBC and Golf Channel. So what the NHL has done in this TV deal, it is, it has raised that floor. Lowering the ceiling, yes, but raising that floor. And when you have more games on cable than you do on broadcast, ultimately, when you raise that floor, you're going to have a, a larger average audience. And that's what we're seeing for the NHL. Uh, I think you want to be on broadcast TV, but if losing your broadcast TV presence is the price you have to pay to get off of CNBC, well, you do it. And to get on to ESPN and TBS and TNT. So I, I think it's been a tremendously successful deal for the NHL just in year two. Uh, I think this is something that probably should have been done previously, but maybe they didn't have the the, the clout at the time. And you get, you got to give NBC credit. NBC got the NHL up off the map, right? ESPN, you know, gave them the TKO uh, under um, Mark Shapiro, right? And, uh, you know, it took NBC 15, 16 years of really high quality coverage to get the NHL to a point where TBS and ESPN would want it and give it the kind of coverage that it gets now. So give NBC credit. The NHL wouldn't be where it is today without NBC, but the NHL is better off now than it was during the NBC era. It's a really interesting point you bring up about kind of lowering the ceiling, but raising the floor. Um, just kind of looking at all the past week's games, there's kind of a median level that a lot of these games hit um, around the 750,000, 800,000 viewership mark. And, that, and that's a really solid number for, you know, some of these time slots, you know, late at night on Tuesday, the 1030 on Tuesday, you're getting 730,000 for, um, you know, Seattle and Colorado, two West Coast teams, mind you, but that, that's a good, good number for hockey. When, when I kind of looked at these playoffs, again, you know, hockey's not a sport I follow super closely. I noticed that, like, kind of two main traditional TV draws were, were missing here, and, and that's the, the Penguins and, and the Capitals, uh, two, like, staples in, in the NHL playoffs that tend to rate pretty well, not, not in it this year. So has that affected uh, first-round ratings at all, not having a couple of those bigger draws? No, because you have the Bruins doing what they're doing and you have Rangers Devils. I mean, that will make, mm -hmm. you know, more than make up for that. Uh, Tampa Bay Toronto is also doing quite well. Uh, you know, the Lightning have built up a following, I think, through their three straight trips to the final. And of course, the Maple Leafs of all the Canadian teams are the one that resonates the most in this country. So, you know, realistically, the Capitals were never that big of a draw, honestly. So the Penguins, you might miss 
but I think the the draw that they have makes up for the Penguins' absence. And you know, it's not the end of the world to have some teams kind of go away for a little bit. Uh, and um, then when they come back, it's better and fresher and more exciting. So looking forward for um, for the NHL, obviously you want to keep those big market teams in there. You want to keep the Rangers in there. You want to keep the Bruins in there. Yeah. Uh, looking out west, do you think you know maybe the Kraken being a new team would would be a bit of a draw? Uh, who else you know from that Western Conference do you think would be um, important for the NHL to keep in? Well, you know, Edmonton is interesting. They've got the stars. Uh, I think they're a Canadian team, obviously. And, uh, you know, that's, that does take away from the drawing power, but, of, you know, the West is so limited in teams that really resonate. I might say maybe Edmonton, because if you were to get Edmonton in a cup final against Boston or the Rangers, those teams will more than make up for the fact that you don't have that extra American market in there. And then you have the ability to showcase, right? The best stars in the game. Uh, this is, you know, right now Edmonton's a little Anaheim angels, like, you know, where they've got the best players in the game, but they don't have anything to show for it. If you can get Edmonton into a cup final and they're taking on New York or Boston, that could be a great showcase for the league. Obviously, if they're taking on Toronto, you don't want that because as great as that would be for your Canadian market, that's not going to be good for, for TNT. But I think, you know, I mean, obviously an American market is your best bet, but just in terms of the teams, I, I think there's some upside with Edmonton in the right matchup because, I mean, they say Connor McDavid is the best player, right? That's what they say. You might want to have your best player in there, even if he's in Edmonton. Well, we have a lot of hockey left. And uh, we will be keeping a close eye on these ratings throughout the playoffs. Let's go to the XFL and USFL battling it out for a second week in a row. Top line numbers, XFL beats out the USFL by about 100,000. Let's, let's say about, I have the exact numbers here. Let me actually pull them up. Um, XFL week 10, which was their first week of playoffs, 568,000 average viewership. USFL in their second week, 455,000. It's important to note, actually, that the USFL, despite having about 100,000 fewer viewers on average, had more games in broadcast windows. So they had one on NBC and one on Fox. Uh, the XFL just had one on ABC. Obviously, these are pretty pretty low numbers. Well, what are your top line takeaways from this week in spring football? Yeah, well, one I would note, it was uh, actually the last week of the regular season in the XFL. So oh, apologies. No worries. Uh, I mean, it's the XFL. I'm not expecting everyone <laughs> to you know, be able to, to know what's going on with the ins and outs there. But uh, the reality is these numbers are, you know, mixed, which is to say, obviously, the USFL was doing a lot better last year, and the XFL was doing a lot better before the USFL season started. Uh, and so the competition is having an effect on both of them. But you're still talking about, you know, four games in spring football over the 600,000 viewer mark. And these exact numbers for NHL playoff games should probably look pretty good, realistically. Uh, the, these numbers for West Western Conference NHL playoff games would be great. Uh, you know, so it, it's tough because you don't want to be unfair, but I mean, certainly 
the competition is having a negative impact on both of them, particularly the USFL. Uh, I know year two, you're going to see a decline anyway, but you know, to not have a single game at the million viewer mark in your first two weeks is pretty, you know, pretty notable given the USFL has all of this broadcast TV exposure. Yeah. If you had asked me, you know, at the onset of the XFL this year, um, who would who would kind of win this battle between the XFL and the USFL? I, I probably would have said the XFL, considering that they had the first mover advantage, so to say, right? They they kind of got to ride a bit on the momentum of the Super Bowl. They're they're pretty much coming out right after the NFL season ended. And by now we've had eight, nine, ten weeks of XFL to watch, and all of a sudden USFL new league kicks off. Is there really that much more of an appetite? There's not really much of a um, you know new shiny toy aspect to the USFL, considering that there has been spring football for two months prior. Um, and I, I think that is kind of being borne out here in the ratings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a limited audience of spring football. And I, I just think that, you know, they should probably not go up against each other. I mean, the XFL is going to be done in two or three weeks anyway. I don't see why there needs to be any overlap. And even if you're going to overlap, there's seven days in a week. You're not the NFL. Neither of these leagues are the NFL. There's no reason why they can't play uh, a couple of weeknight games to minimize the head-to-head. But, you know, I mean, I guess they're trying to establish dominance over each other, and uh, they might just play themselves uh, realistically. Uh, one other quick football note I wanted to touch on before uh, before moving on to a few more quick hitters here. 315 on Saturday, we had the Colorado spring football game. Obviously, this is on ESPN because, because of Coach Prime, Deion Sanders. Yeah. What are your thoughts on 550000 for that game? Obviously, this is a team that won one game last year. This is Hollywood, right? Yeah. Well, I think the most famous Colorado sports alums right now are what Chris Fowler and Kate Fagan, maybe. I mean, mm-hmm. what has Colorado done uh, really in any sport lately? So to get 551,000 for a spring football game with a team that hasn't been relevant since Keith Jackson was calling the games for ABC is uh, pretty, pretty amazing, I guess. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, Deion Sanders, people have been interested in Deion for 30, 40 years going on, and uh, he has that drawing power up to now. I don't know what's going to happen with Deion in uh, in Boulder, and I don't know what I want to happen, if I'd rather have them be super successful or absolutely crash and burn, but but what I do know is is I hope that everything is being documented. <laughs> I, yeah. I, hope, oh. I hope there's the, some Netflix cameras there. I mean, I know that they've had about 100 players enter the transfer portal yeah. and about 100 new guys come in. So I would uh, I would totally eat up a docu-series about what's going on in, at Colorado right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm. you wonder if Deion had gone to a place like Florida State, his alma mater, and how big he could have been there. But FSU seems to be at least getting back into some level of competence. So you don't want to mess that up going with. Ultimately, what could end up being a sideshow, you know, I mean, Dion, you don't want your coach being the the center of attention like that. I mean, uh, it, it just, I don't know how that is going to work, but uh, 
hey, if he can get recruits, to, I mean, that's the other thing too. Florida State doesn't need Dion to get recruits. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Colorado certainly does. Yeah. All right, let's let's move on to a uh, less fun topic, and that is the ESPN layoffs that uh, were announced yesterday. One big name in particular that that is getting a lot of uh, play in the media is Mike Soltis leaving the company. Um, was there for 43 years. He was the VP of Communications at ESPN. Uh, I'm sure you had some interactions with him over the years. Why don't you tell us about Mike? Yeah, so I just want to shout out Mike Soltis, who, uh, you know, I, I was very surprised because, I mean, if Mike Soltis is going to get laid off, then there's a lot of people who aren't going to be safe. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it is it is what it is at ESPN and at Disney uh, and in the media industry generally, things are getting a little bit uh, Things are getting a little bit too spicy for the pepper in the media industry right now. Uh, that's an American Dad reference. Mondays <laughs> on TBS, uh, and uh, you know it's 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 too bad. Uh, what else can you really say? I will say, as far as Mike Soltis goes, uh, I do have uh, some uh, a fun Mike Soltis story. Uh, back in 2010, I attended the opening of the ESPN Wide World of Sports uh, Complex at Disney. That's where the Lakers won that title in the bubble back in 20. Uh, And uh, so Mike uh, was answering all of my questions and we walked throughout Disney World together. And I'm just peppering him with question after question after question. Uh, And uh, it was uh, quite a memorable experience. Uh, At one point, a woman came up to us and began complaining vociferously about ESPN the weekend because I guess Mike was wearing an ESPN badge or something like that. So he comes up to us and is complaining about ESPN the weekend, probably not knowing he's talking to one of the highest level people at ESPN. I I used my opportunity to try to sell Mike on uh, doing more regional NBA games because my, my theory was that, you know, you can get better ratings in Utah and San Antonio. If you give Utah and San Antonio a Spurs jazz game, well, the rest of the country gets, you know, I don't know, Cavs, whoever, right? Uh, So Mike's final words to me uh, were, uh, you watch too much TV. And uh, that will be on my gravestone eventually. (laughs) He watched too much TV. Uh, So Mike uh, probably doesn't know how right he was about that. But um, he just, uh, you know, I, I will say uh, to uh, be out there answering a 21-year-old's questions and paying respect to a 21-year-old like that is certainly not something Mike needed to do. Nobody needed to, uh, you know, uh, I mean, it was kind of amazing. I actually got to speak to George Bodenheimer and talking to George Bodenheimer face-to-face and it's like, they, they were really, they really indulged me for no good reason. And I'm grateful for that, uh, you know, uh, and it's uh, certainly a, an act of kindness to do that with a young, not even really a young reporter. I mean, I was just doing my own website. So it's not like I was, you know, working for Sports Business Journal or whatever. Uh, so that was very kind of them and it was a great experience. And so, I just wanted to make a note of that and wish Mike the best. And certainly, you know, I suspect, like I said, if they're going to, if they're going to lay off Mike Soltis, I I suspect there's a lot of people that folks in the media work with and, uh, you know, have built relationships with who are at ESPN on on the PR side who are going to get caught up in this. So it's, it's certainly going to affect the way that uh, I think people who communicate with ESPN do their business because you do build 
certain rapport with uh, PR folks there who, you know, and, and there's a lot of hardworking PR folks there, you know, a lot of the reason why people even talk about Formula One doing as well as it does is because Andy Hall, who handles their motorsports is on top of that every single race uh, and, and, and putting those numbers out there. Uh, so, you know, uh, we'll see. It, it's going to be interesting uh, to go to the on-air talent. We know that based from what uh, Andrew Marchand is reporting, Chris Fowler will be staying. Seems like Chris Fowler was going to be on the outs. It was one of those things, you know, relatively speaking, Chris is underpaid, but then you see 10-year, $30 million salary, and you're like, oh, man. I mean, I don't begrudge anyone the right to make their money, but that 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 was one of, that was one of those where I went, wow, you know, uh, it's, it's good work if you can get it, right? Yeah, um, I wish I was that underpaid. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, you're only worth what what people are willing to pay. Exactly. But, uh, but that's uh, that's a that's a that's it's not generational wealth, but uh, it's uh, you and your kids and your kids. <laughs> that's your generation. Yeah, yeah, your your generation and a little bit a little bit after. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so we'll see what happens to other folks. Um, this is just the way it's going to be in this industry. Mm-hmm. This is just the way it's going to be. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have too much to say other than, you know, it stinks. Uh, everything you said about Mike Soltis kind of that that seems to be the industry wide response to to him being let go. Um, so glad you were able to tell that story. Yeah, I, I just don't think there's much to be said. It's it's just a it's a tough industry. It's a tough time in the industry. And um, there's going to be a lot of good and talented people losing their jobs. And, and that's unfortunate. Anyway, we will move on a couple quick hitters to get to. Um, the WNBA last week uh, came to a new broadcast agreement with Scripps, Scripps Sports, um, and will be broadcasting on Friday nights on Scripps's Ion Networks. John, what are your thoughts? I think it's a good move for the WNBA. Um, look, I mean, it's not the move for the WNBA. This better not be where the WNBA is in 10 years, right? But it's the stepping stone to the stepping stone. This is kind of like the NHL deal with NBC at a, at a lower level, obviously, because we know the numbers aren't going to be anywhere close, uh, not just because it's a WNBA, but because it's Zion. Uh, and, uh, but it is similar to that because the NHL needed to be with NBC to get it to a point where it could get to a better deal. The NHL needs to get reps on primetime broadcast television. It needs to have an appointment audience. You know, ESPN gets a lot of praise for its WNBA coverage. And yes, it's increased the exposure, but there is no set WNBA night. Many years ago, they used to have a set night. It was WNBA Tuesdays. Got rid of that. Now it's WNBA whenever we find a slot for it. And uh, to have appointment programming every Friday night, you know, you're going to turn on ION and you know that ION is available for free through your antenna if you have one. Uh, That I think is a big deal. You don't want to overstate it. There's a lot of overstating that goes on with the WNBA. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of people who are wanting to kind of, you know, uh, protect the league a little bit because we know how many cheap shots the WNBA takes. But I don't think it helps to be, you know, to be a cheerleader in, in, in certain ways. The WNBA has a long way to go. And the WNBA is showing progress, but the growth that it's had is within certain parameters. The WNBA has yet to lift its ceiling. The college game, they blew past that ceiling. 
I never would have thought that 10 million viewers was even remotely possible right now. They completely obliterated the ceiling that they had. The WNBA has been within, you know, I'll put it this way. The WNBA has yet to get a number that it couldn't have gotten 20 years ago when it was on NBC. Right. It's a little bit like where the NBA is, where the NBA's regular season audience this year was pretty much exactly the same as it was in 2003. You know, you have all these changes in the middle and you end up right back to square one. But the WNBA, I mean, like I said, they haven't had a game with a million viewers since 2008. This ION deal is not going to change that. I do think they'll get to a million for a couple of games this year, but uh, the ION deal isn't going to be the reason for that. But what the ION deal can do is build up that audience a little bit, that appointment programming. And more importantly, people can stumble upon it. Now, I know what you're thinking, not necessarily you, Drew, but just generally, who's going to stumble upon anything on ION? That's a good question because, I mean, it's going to be tough. <laughs> ION is, it's not, a channel that you surf through. But look, I mean, if you are, I mean, if you're really bored on a Friday night and there's nothing else on and your channel's flipping and you come across a game on ION and you're open to watching women's basketball, maybe you stay there. It's not going to be some kind of viewership windfall, but at least it gives you the chance of building a fan base out of people who may not have sampled your league before. I, th I think this is a positive deal for for really just one reason, and and that's because it, it's additive, right? It is they're not changing their exposure on the ESPN networks, and they're they're adding an entirely new package where, as you said, new fans can stumble upon this. This can be a an appointment viewing experience, which, as you mentioned, ESPN no longer gives the league, right? So for that reason, I, I think it's a win-win. They're getting a little bit more money. They're getting more exposure. And they're not sacrificing anything for that, right? Um, so so I, th I think the league did great. They're also, as, as you suggested to uh, Mike Soltis back in the day, they're doing regional games, yeah. right? Yeah. Exactly. Which, so if you are living in Minnesota, you're probably going to catch a Minnesota game when when you tune into ion on friday nights if you're living in seattle you might catch seattle games so yeah. yeah these are uh these are all good things for the league and uh we'll we'll see how it works i hope we get some numbers from that i'll, I'll be pretty intrigued to to uh see what what the viewership's like there but um yeah uh, that it's it's a no lose situation for for the wnba yeah and that that part you mentioned the regional aspect is big because all these games are on RSNs. The the established major, you know, big four leagues can't get people to tune into RSNs the same way anymore. So you need that over the air exposure just generally. I do think Ion might be something to to look at if you're the NBA, not for actual games, but for something like maybe crunch time on NBA TV. Ion might be a good place to put that every now and again for people who don't have uh, access to an RSN and just, you know, get, get your league in front of, again, not a big audience, but bored people on a Friday night looking for something to watch. They're, they're out there and uh, they're probably not going to end up at Ion, honestly, but maybe they will. There's a lot of TV viewers out there and I, I it's it, it can't hurt. Baseball yeah. should think about this too. Uh, basically, everybody that has content where, you know, if you've got a little whip around show one night a week, just get your uh, get your event out there to people to see.
one more story to cover. Um, this is the biggest story in, in cable news this week. Mm-hmm. Um, Charles Barkley will be hosting a, a new show with uh, Gail King on CNN. It'll air one night a week uh, starting this fall. We've mentioned this story on previous podcasts. Uh, I, I was highly skeptical of it. Um, I didn't think Chuck would would want to do a show unless he had some other motivation yeah. that was non-monetary, you know, maybe running for office or something. That doesn't actually seem to be the case. Seems like maybe he has a, a big respect for Gail King, and that's why he's doing this. But um, what are your thoughts on um, Charles Barkley's new CNN show? Well, there's a lot of risk involved. Uh, it's really easy to get fired from cable news. You can ask Tucker Carlson or Don Lemon about that. The reality of the matter is I would hate for Charles to say something that he can get away with saying at 2 a.m. on TNT that he can't get away with saying on CNN where the audience is very different. And, uh, you know, nobody can't be, you know, canceled. Let's just, be, let's just use the word. Nobody is immune to that. If Tucker Carlson lost his job, then anybody, you would have thought Tucker was, was remarkably safe. So uh, I, I just think uh, for Charles, uh, I just hope, I mean, Charles is a smart man. Uh, there's a term, it, you know, uh, called code switching. It's a, it's a term about, you know, uh, it's usually used in, in a racial context. I'm not using it in that context here. There's a certain way that Charles can talk on TNT, right? A certain aspect that he has that he already knows to tone down in other settings. He's not the same analyst on CBS for the tournament that he is on TNT. So he already knows how to code switch a little bit based on where, you know, what kind of channel you are on, what kind of audience you're getting. He's going to need to do that on CNN because, I mean, the risk is real. The risk is real. If you say something that, you know, hey, Don Lemon, for no reason at all, decided to torpedo his career, he thought, you know, the problem that Don Lemon had is that he thought that he could get away with criticizing Nikki Haley uh, because I imagine Nikki Haley probably isn't too popular with the CNN audience. But then he decided to criticize Nikki Haley on grounds that apply to literally every single woman on earth. So he he screwed that up a little bit. Uh, next time, make your criticisms Nikki Haley specific, and you might still have your job. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I mean, cable news is it's dangerous. I mean, I, I, I think for Charles, the upside is not high. But he's painting this as loyalty to, to his employer. Uh, well, don't ever be loyal to your employer because you can be there for 43 years and they'll still pay you off. I don't know. I think, uh, you know, the money must be really good. That's all I can think. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't too loyal to his employer last year when he was having a little dalliance with yeah, Liv Golf. True. So it's, uh, let's not act like Charles is, uh, you know, Mr. Warner Brothers Discovery here as all much right. as he wants to say it. Um, yeah, I I really don't know exactly what his motivations are unless they're really, you know, backing up the truck for him. But, yeah. uh, you know, for one night a week, how much, I mean, how much could they really, you know, give him? Who I don't know. I mean, he yeah. is you know, one of the most talented people on TV, so may, maybe it is significant, but. Well, uh, <laughs> don't be, don't be shocked if it's boring. I mean, yeah. because, I mean, Charles needs EJ and Kenny to be Charles. It's not like Charles Barkley is this singular figure 
that wherever he goes, he's the same level of entertaining. You take EJ out of that show and you put even someone with a lot of talent like Kevin Frazier in there, it's not as good of a show. It works because of those four people working together and Tim Kiley and, you know, that environment, it works there. You put Charles in with Gail King, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it just, yeah. I mean, what I, are they, I, what are they even going to talk about, John? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I do. Th- I think if you go back in the archives here, I, I was on the record when we talked about this before saying this would be an absolute bust if it happens. Yeah. Um, I don't think this is a show that's going to be long running on CNN. Let's just say that it might be entertaining. Um, who knows? They they could uh, they could pull it off, but even you know, I don't think this is going to be a thing in two or three years. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely not in two or three years. Chris Lick needs to figure out what he's doing. Uh, a lot of people don't have any faith in him to to do what you know to to make cnn better he's already alienated the cnn audience while not bringing in the audience that hates cnn uh and uh so he's got a lot of work to do and i don't think charles and gail king is going to be uh the solution to that problem well john i think uh, i think we covered a lot today a lot happening in the sports media world any closing thoughts um, you know, not really. It's a, obviously a lot of stuff going on right now in the business. Uh, a lot of things are in flux. Uh, it's a very exciting time in sports itself with a lot of great games going on. And uh, said last week, the NBA and NHL could have a great uh, year. And uh, I, I still feel that way. Certainly the NBA shaping up as it needs to, but the specter of injuries is real. Uh, so the health is going to need to, 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 to be a big factor. You need everyone to stay healthy as long as LeBron, Steph, you know, uh, all these folks are able to play. If you lose any one of them, then, you know, a Lakers warrior series, if LeBron and Steph were hurt, wouldn't really matter. So health is wealth, uh, both in the NBA and in life. It's a great note to end on. Thank you, John. No problem. And if you have not already, please remember to resubscribe to the sports media watch podcast feed. And uh, that's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. Other than that, we will see you uh, in a week for another episode as the NBA and NHL playoffs roll on. And we'll talk, of course, about the NFL draft, which I didn't even mention once. It's coming up on Thursday. I won't be watching it, but you probably will. So we'll discuss it next week. That's the definition of, you know, this, this TV show could have been an email. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.